Hey friends, welcome to another episode of the Herbert Kane podcast. And for those of you that are new here, my name is Simon Osimo, and you can join me for weekly conversations with some really interesting people as I explore their personal stories, transformations, and experiences that help educate, inform, and inspire. On today's episode, I'm joined by my good friend Michael Rosen. The Michael is the president and founding partner at Rosen Security. And for nearly 20 years, he has focused on terrorism prevention and served in the Israeli Defence Forces as a sergeant. He also preceded me as the Special Operations Manager at More of America in Minnesota. I've known Michael for a little under 10 years, and I knew he had transformed himself many times since living in Russia, Bulgaria, Israel, and now the US. But it was only during a recent conversation that I learned his true entrepreneurial spirit, how he coped with not having his birth father present in his life, and how he was bullied as a child for being Jewish. But before we dive into this week's content, I want to remind you that you can listen to this podcast wherever you consume your content, and the video can be found on our YouTube channel, at Simon Osimo. Now, if you get something from this conversation, or believe that others will, it would mean the world to me if you would like and share with your circle of influence. Okay, so let's dive straight into this week's conversation with my good friend, Michael Rosen. Welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Well, Michael Rosen, welcome to the Who I Became podcast. Thank you very much for having me here. It's an honor. Well, Michael, you are like me, but you are a foreign man in the US, but I guess now uh, you're an American citizen. So I should talk off, start off by saying that you've lived in Belarus, you've lived in Bulgaria, you've lived in Israel, uh, and now you've lived in the US. So you're, you're a well-traveled man. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, I just uh, uh, that's how the life uh, happened to be. <laughs> but it, and, and Michael, you know, I got to know you when I moved to the US because uh, you know a bit about both our backgrounds. We were both a special operations captain at Mall of America in Minnesota. You know, you've uh, you're the founder of the program, and, and I was graciously uh, entrusted to oversee the program that you'd built. Um, so I'm really grateful for Doug Reynolds for allowing me to do that. But you know, you've got a very interesting and, and travelled um, past. And, uh, you know, before you came to, to the US, uh, you know, you were a sort of, um, how would you describe it, uh, Michael? Would you say that you were a sort of an, an expert in behavior detection? Maybe talk a bit about um, your what led up to your sort of training. Yeah, so before I came to uh, United States, um, I came here from Israel. Um, and my last job in Israel, I was a... Um, agent, um, uh, security agent with uh, Israel Security Agency, Shinbet. It's our internal security entity that's similar to what the United States would be FBI and Secret Service and FPS in Israel sold down under one umbrella. And so I was a, 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 a agent uh, at our airport in, uh, in Israel, in uh, Tel Aviv, Ben Gurion International Airport in Tel Aviv. And, uh, you know, the academy and then my work at uh, Ben Gurion Airport in Tel Aviv kind of framed the uh, behavior, threat detection, threat mitigation expertise that I further refined and developed more so in the United States. But uh, it's the, the, the academy in Israel and the years thereafter that uh, kind of frame the behavior detection expertise. 
Yeah, and I know when you're at Mall of America, you know, the program was called RAM, Risk Assessment Mitigation, and sort of you know, now you've gone on to your own consulting, you know, you've sort of really um, enhanced that program. It's mostly like a program on steroids now, but I know you, you, know, you teach it um, not only nationally here in the US, but internationally as, as well, and a lot of law enforcement agencies use that. And maybe tell us a bit about that program, Michael, what you developed. Yeah, so the, the program we have developed um, uh, called SIRA stands for Suspicion Indicators Recognition Assessment. And, you know, I just really bless, uh, you know, the knowledge that the, the state of Israel gave me and the experience there. And I was able to kind of materialize it and refine it and put in place United States because uh, the program truly works and kind of the core of it is man-made threats and enabling security and law enforcement professionals proactively identify the right threat elements who might intend to cause harm and uh, interdict them, stop them from being able to do so through deterrence, through intervention, uh, through other other protocols that are part of the program. And, you know, the reason I say we're blessed and kind of what drives me and my company and, and uh, you know, we work, uh, you know, sometimes crazy hours and it's busy work, but, you know, there's nothing more rewarding than when you have a law enforcement partner calling you one day and say, you know, Michael, thank you so much. Your program works. We identified a terrorist perpetrator that is now charged and is going to be prosecuted or a school district that calls you and says, you know, thank you because uh, we're able to prevent a next strategy in our school. And so those are the kind of stuff that this program is designed to do at its core and what it does. Yeah, and I know, Michael, you know, when you're at the mall, it could have been soon after, um, that the Homeland Security recognized the sort of your work at Mall of America. Yeah, it was it was really a humbling experience. Um, the Department of Homeland Security uh, and the United States uh, uh, House of Representatives, the, the Committee of Homeland Security, recognized our program at Mall of America as, uh, as an example, as a model of what security in the United States, especially in, in uh, entities open to the public, should look like. Uh, so that was really a humbling experience um, uh, for, for me personally, of course, for everyone involved in this program with me. Yeah, and it was, you know, the, the legacy that you left behind when I took over at Mall America was a bit like um, Barack Obama. You, you probably don't want to be the first black president of the US. You want to be the guy after. <laughs> whenever I was in, Michael Rosen, I was like, can I, can I get this guy out of my, get out of my hair for a minute? But I mean, the, the program that you built was fantastic. And, you know, you've done a lot of great work since. And you Thank continue you. to do it. And, you know, Michael, a lot of this conversation was really born for me and you having a happy hour a few weeks ago. Yeah. I was like, Michael, this is, I've known you like 10 years now. You're a good friend. I didn't know some of this stuff, and it was fascinating. Uh -huh. So, you know, you you are, like I said, you're nationally known, you're internationally known, you know, you do great work in and around the sort of counterterrorism space and maybe detection space. But there's some interesting things about your background, you know, and one of them I'll just start off by, you know, I mean, you can speak Russian, Bulgarian, English, Hebrew, and I think it says basic Arabic. I don't know if that means, but it's like elementary level, or you're just putting it on there, Michael, just to, to add another language. But I, mean, I can just about speak English. So, I mean, I don't know how to <laughs> do that. And like I started off with saying, you know, you lived in all these different countries, but, you know, you told me something about when you lived in um, Belarus, when you sort of grew up in Belarus. Um, and most people would say, well, well Michael's this counterterrorism guy, you know, he worked at this famous airport, he's build and design to his programs but when we're talking about behavior detection it was interesting because you said well i was bullied as a child and, and part of those skills that i got and that awareness i still use to this day so I mean, maybe tell us a bit about what it was like growing up in belarus uh, as a jewish uh, or at that point maybe perceived to be jewish when you weren't necessarily practicing jew and, and then sort of being bullied 
Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, in many, in many ways, my experience in Belarus, maybe later now, I, I just, uh, I, I tend to realize, you know, it's that, you know, the, 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 you know, I, I and I have been bullied and, and felt pretty safe and felt discriminated many times. And I'll tell you my experience there. But I think it's that kind of experience that uh, later down in my in my uh, more adult years, I think maybe subconscious to extent kind of drive me towards this, uh, you know, helping others, helping to protect others from whatever harm there is, and that's kind of you know the 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 desire to protect others is so strong in me that and uh, I think maybe that's that's why. And I think the second part, the behavior detection, I think why I. I, 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 it innately comes to me, and I'm really good at that when I focus and do this. I think partially, I feel like it's because, uh, you know, as a kid, right, as the six-year-old, seven-year-old kid, I had to predict who's going to be the next one, right, who's going who's gonna to give me the blue eye or break my hand. And, and that kind of constant reading of people and situations and circumstances probably was the first... Uh, uh, boot camp academy that I received in a behavior detection career. But, you know, my experience in Belarus, you know, Belarus was a tough place to grow up as a Jewish kid. You know, the anti-Semitism, the hatred for Jews. And, you know, you said religion. Uh, and, you know, I think it's, you know, we think of being Jewish in the Western world primarily as a religious choice, right? Where, uh, you know, in Russia and the Eastern Bloc, right? This is a lot more, and other parts of the world, it's a lot more about ethnicity, right? So yeah. at that time, really practicing Judaism was not even truly allowed in Russia and Belarus. So, you know, I learned about the Jewish traditions from my grandparents, uh, from my mom a little bit, but we, honestly, we never really practiced that. It's, you know, being a Jewish, Jewish person was more of an ethnic thing for me growing up. Yeah. And, you know, the the discrimination against the Jews was something that we, you know, that I start feeling personally, you know, I heard the rumors, right, when you're, I remember in kindergarten, kind of hearing, you know, where my mom, who's a doctor and very, very uh, successful doctor, but, you know, she would have a hard time getting a job because they would always, uh, you know, prioritize uh, the non-Jewish doctors before the Jewish doctors. And, you know, they would give the Jewish doctors the worst shifts, so she would always work overnights and, and yeah. weekends. Uh, so, you know, kind of as, as a kid, you, you hear those things. And then I personally started experiencing, I still remember this day one of my school, first grade. And uh, this is, we lived in uh, next to Minsk, one of the suburbs of Minsk. It's the capital of Belarus. And I'm in this elementary school. And I remember, you know, you have to sit, you know, we all have to sit, you know, just like this, like your hands on your knees, you have to be nice and straight. And the teacher comes in, she sits at the table and she has this list of names and she does a roll call basically of who is in the classroom. And when you hear your name, you're supposed to raise your hand and say, yes, I'm here. Um, and, and so, you know, everyone goes, goes, goes this way. And then of course it comes to me and she says, Rosen, I, I raise my hand to say, yes, I'm here. And at that point, uh, most of the classroom went ha 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 you know they start joking there are those derogatory terms for uh, the jewish people in russia that exist and you know people start throwing those those derogatory terms uh left and right and after this first break i remember stepping in the after this first first class stepping in a break session and it was on you know it was yeah. Uh, it was the, that was the first kind of fight that I experienced. It was right at the first hour and the first break. 
And from this point on, you know, I spent in the um, you know public school system of of Belarus, uh, something like five years, five to six years before we left Belarus uh, for Bulgaria. And you know, there were so many people that wanted to kick my butt regularly yeah. that they, I think, they internally had to make a schedule of who's going to do it next uh, because there was not enough time to do it. And you know, maybe I wasn't too smart of you know trying to avoid it all the time or running away. Many times I would just fight the best of my ability and i did not know what i was doing at that point um and so i end up with uh you know broken nose and going home with blue eyes was kind of like a you know it was just like a normal state of existence for me my hands were broken four times right some of them like some of them were because i was fighting some of them was like you know i was on the floor and someone's really cranking my hand and then yeah. it, i could hear it break uh, in fact, doctors told me that, that if I broke my hands one more time, they'll have to put stints inside it because it's oh, wow. not going to heal uh, anymore. Um, broken ribs a couple of times, bruised, you know, all of them. And, you know, it was kind of like my mom was very upset and she kept trying to do something about it. And she was very vocal about this issue. But, you know, I, I remember I can, um, you know, somehow, some way when I was in between uh classrooms between sessions and when those fights were you know no teachers were around really no one was really caring and and even i remember you know like after some big fights you go in the classroom and you could you know now thinking it back you could you know you could see this kid right sitting there right whippering there i was you know you know i'm probably bruised left and right and the teacher just kind of continues as a normal thing without really caring too much uh and and that was kind of my reality i was honestly signing for my first um f- five years of uh, the public schools in belarus and that kind of reality i feel like you know just made me um made me very much you know like i i became first i i, I started being very concerned about uh uh being honest that i was jewish right so i tried to I try to hide it, right? People that do not know me, I always try to hide it and pretend that I'm not. That the first thing that happened. Second, it made me really try to look and predict and and try to read people. Um, again, I did not have any professional training, being your know, first or fifth you grader. Had your instinct, right, didn't you? But you know, I I I would say that I would be paying a lot closer attention to humans in front of me uh, than an average second grader or third grader would yeah. typically do that. Um, so. That was uh, that was my first five years of. Uh, well, and that, that was, was an, an interesting five years. But and I tell you, when when me and you were talking about this over the, the happy hour a few weeks ago, what struck me is a very, you know, I suffered nowhere near the discrimination, um, Michael, that you did. I wouldn't wish that on, on anyone. But I can remember as a child that someone wants to tap me for being black. They actually like closed a steel door in my face, and I've got a scar on my forehead as a result. And and someone called me the N word, you know. And I remember that part about it. But even mm-hmm. that at the time. Um, I can't remember how, how old I was, maybe 10 or 11. Race wasn't really a big thing for me. Um, and the reason why I say that story is it reminded me of when me and you were talking is that at that time you were being sort of victimized for being Jewish. When you were a kid and you said that your faith didn't really come until you were in your 20s. So, I mean, how did it feel when you were being attacked for something that at that age you couldn't really even really relate to too much? You know, um, Again, it's you know this is the thing the the interesting thing right about being Jewish right then, and I learned that kind of um, perception right. Actually, when I come to the United States and I remember, you know, me and you know my wife right, we're having this discussion about 
the fact that United States, right, you know, the, the, pers- the, 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 the concept of being Jewish is associated primarily with religion, right? You practice religion. And yeah, honestly, I, I had no affiliation with any, with Judaism at the time, very little, at, le- at least when I was bullied for being Jewish. But, you know, again, like for us uh, in Russia and overseas, Jewish is a lot more about, uh, about ethnicity. It's uh, and you know I, I had this point, right? You know, uh, so my wife would always disagree with me. At first, she would say, you know, look, this is not about ethnicity. It's a, it's a religious choice to be Jewish yeah. or not. I said, no, I think it's about ethnicity. I mean, I I grew up that way. It's about ethnicity. And you know, we walk in the street, and and she sees a couple, and she says, oh look, look at this couple. I think they're Jewish, and they live in the area. And I ask her, huh? Did you did you know if they practice Judaism? Did you yeah. ask him if they go to a temple? Uh, I mean, how how can you possibly know that they're Jewish? I think you're right. They are Jewish, but how did you know they're Jewish? It probably has nothing to do with the fact that they practice in Judaism. It has everything to do with the way they look, right? And 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 so that's why you know for me, I soon affiliate ethnically with being Jewish. That's what I was. That's what I am, but not religiously at the time. Yeah, and it's a, you know, I mean, we haven't got enough time to unpack it here, but it's a fascinating um, sort of sort of concept, really, isn't it? Just as to where we are in the world in 2020, there's just you know, it's just such a the world is a melting pot of ethnicities and, and, and cultures, and just just trying to understand how all that stuff has, has shaped you, Michael. I mean, does it still, uh, you know, you can recount those stories like they yesterday. I'm, I'm assuming that despite all your success and things you've done there's still a lot of um, hurtful memories about sort of being being bullied um, and sort of um, having to, you know, be the outcast, if you like, within that within that community. I mean, you know, um, like it took me a while, right? So it took me a while to, you know, and probably the best thing that happened to me is eventually moving to Israel because that was the first, it was probably very healing for me and it was the first time where where I felt I belonged I can be open about being Jewish. I and and I was proud of being Jewish. I felt great of being for being Jewish. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, you know, I think like the you know the fact is that you know here we are talking right now, right? It's um, um, you know forty plus at this point years old, and you know we're talking about my experience when I was six years old, seven years old, eight years old. And I can recall today, right, with a great level of detail, you know, a lot of the fights, a lot of the situations that I was in um, that that I painfully remember all the details. And obviously the scar is somewhere in my mind has gone, has not gone away completely. And, you know, it was good. I think it helped me that as as I started moving from you know, Belarus to Bulgaria and to Israel and the United States, I start feeling freer and freer of being able to to say who I am and, you know, not expect that I'm going to get, uh, you know, punched in the face two minutes later if I say that I'm Jewish. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, and we laughed about this when, when you spoke, you know, but I mean, you you have one of the best behavior detection programs, I believe, in the, in, in the world, you know, but I, I still say that there's a part of Thank your you. program somewhere that does come from your, from, from you being that six and seven year old. So, you know, there, there is a uh, method methodology that you teach um and there is a you know a system behind it but i, I still say your intuition you know really uh, really guides you michael um, yeah. fascinating. Thank, thank you for sharing that and i know that 
Yeah, I mentioned some of your accolades and the things that you've done. I mean, since you've definitely moved here to the US, I mean, you, you've achieved some some great things with Rosen um, Consulting. Um, but me and you are, are very similar. We both had an absent father um, during our during our lives, and you know, you're you're sort of your birth father. And again, we we sort of touched on this during our our discussion. And you know, for me, I've always left my father sort of in the past, but I've never met him. And thinking, well, if I do meet him, you know, what is he going to think of me? What am I going to think of him? And I, you know, I, I don't believe he's still alive. But I, I was, I've got to a good place where I could push that aside. Whereas I know that um, you, Michael, with your absent father, you know, you did sort of choose to make contact with him, and that also shaped you a, as a man. So I mean, um, maybe let's just start off from from sort of there. You know, what was the? I mean, there's two ways that you can go. You can either say, you know, if this person hasn't been in my life, I want to find them and work out why I am the way I am. Or you can sort of just, you know, um, not have any communication, but, you know, you chose to try and get to know your father. Maybe tell us a little bit about, about that experience. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I think um, the choice that I, when it comes to my father, that I made, uh, and I'll tell you more about that, the, the overall uh, situation, but the choice that I made is to try to be a better father. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, maybe I'm stubborn enough and committed enough and, you know, uh, I, I, I just committed to, to never do to my kids, right? Kind of what he was okay doing to me, right? In essence, uh, not being the father figure, right? But what happened is, um, you know, I really never had him in my life ever you know when i was born i guess uh you know the marriage between my mom and him fell apart um and you know, that's the one i know it's it's probably justified based on his behavior at the time um he was um he's always been you know my my dad's side of the family they always had a career in the military so they're higher ranking um officers in the russian military at the time and, and so was he um, and, um, you know, so they, their marriage fell apart and, you know, really there was no kind of attempt from him to see me or in any shape and form, uh, at all until I was 15 years old. And at that time I already lived in Bulgaria. Uh, it was also very tough economic times. I think partially, I mean, Bulgaria, we can talk about it later, but Bulgaria also shaped part of why I do what I do think now today in the business standpoint. Uh, but, uh, you know, when I was 15, I, I really, you know, something got into me and I was like, I really want to meet this guy. I, I need to know who my father is. Um, and so I, I, I was really nagging my mom who eventually, you know, agreed to do it. She called my grandpa and were able to, uh, they were able to, uh, kind of orchestrate it. And so when I was 15, you know, I drove, we flew back to Russia Belarus. I drove. Um, I drove something like 600 miles um, to meet him, and I spent a day with him. And it was kind of like this, uh, you know, uh, it's it's a very strange experience, right? When one you look at the person, right, and and um, it's like he he happened to look a lot like me. I know, so it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So it's, he looks very much like me, and so it's like you see yourself. For a second, it's really strange. You there was some kind of instantaneous kind of like connection that you feel right there. Yeah. Um, you cannot, you know, it's true. Like you just right away feel that natural connection. 
and it all sounded good and you know you can tell a lot of, of course stories to 15 years old and and you know he promised right to be in touch and you know try to kind of repair the relationship moving forward and he never had <laughs> been in touch ever until when i married right and i was in the united states uh my wife too she bugged me you know you really gotta maybe try to get in touch with your father and you know kind of repair that relationship one way or the other and i um i wrote him a letter and kind of the response that i got it just it was uh it was very much obvious that he was a lot about himself and only himself and um and i just you know i i really I, I, it was a good kind of those experiences so it's you know on one side i miss having that that figure in my life on the other side i i i it just it just you know you know, when you go through life and you go through marriage, you go through situations, it's just ups and downs, right? There's, you know, it's, yeah. it's normal. And I always remember, right, that, you know, how important it is to have, to not do, right, what he did. <laughs> so that that, that kind of keeps me, keeps me in line. And so what do you, I mean, we all have our own struggles, but what do you struggle with the most? Or what do you struggle to understand the most about that situation of, of him being absent? Or, or perhaps you have all the answers, I don't know, Michael. Um, you know, the, I mean, being a father right now, right, what's difficult for me to understand is I just cannot imagine, um, being me, right, not wanting or doing everything I can possibly do, right, even if I was in uh, his situation, uh, doing everything that I can possibly humanly do to try to be, uh, you know, a, a parent figure for my kids right to be in touch with them to have communications with them to to have a relationship with them because they are extension of me and they are ultimately I feel like the legacy that you leave behind you is your kids really um and and i think um that i cannot understand and you know i i probably should just accept it and move on i still haven't yeah, and I, and I think I said this to someone recently, but um, I wonder if you actually, if you ever do, I don't know. I think you, um, you know, for all hurt and pain that happens in our life, I think you get to a point where you understand it. It doesn't mean that it doesn't hurt any longer, even still to these days. You know, I can be watching some, I think I watched a mushy Disney film with my sons the other day, and it was talking about, you know, a father had passed away. And even then, I find myself getting emotional. You know, you, you still struggle with, with these with these things. So it could be something that you might never, never fully resolve. But, it, you know, you've got a fantastic and beautiful family, and you're, and you're doing what you can. Thank to, you, yeah. Same, to same, so, same, same, same. Um, and then, you know, so if we, um, let's move on to, to Bulgaria for a bit. So I know you sure. said that Bulgaria shaped you. So tell me about that, then. How did Bulgaria shape the, the micro you know, it was interesting. So the Bulgaria experience, um, you know, I told you one part of my family, right? My dad's side, there's always been that kind of military link in my family. You know, yeah. we had uh, we had generals in the Russian military. We had majors. We had So there's always that part of me, right? The, the military, law enforcement, security-oriented part. When I got to Bulgaria, uh, I got to Bulgaria at a time where the Soviet Union, right, was collapsing. Uh, and... And with the Soviet Union collapse, the Eastern Bloc of countries, that Soviet Union was basically the center of it, were collapsing economically as well. Bulgaria was one of them. And so when I got to Bulgaria, right, things start turning, you know, there was one year where things were nice. And Bulgaria is a wonderful country, beautiful place uh, with uh, great people. 
highly recommend to visit for anyone, right? So after this Corona times. You're becoming you, a travel agent now as well. Yeah, right? yeah. I strongly recommend. That's your long list of things to do. <laughs> <laughs> Bulgaria is fantastic, really. Uh, so when I got there, I uh, the economy started going for the worse. So it was a situation where inflation keeps going up. And, you know, imagine going to a store and buying a loaf of bread for a dollar this Monday. Yeah. Fast forward a week from now, that loaf of bread cost $1.25. A week later, it cost $2. Three weeks later, it cost $2.50. And on and on and on. Mm. The value of the Bulgarian currency started dropping significantly. Um, the economy, because it was heavily dependent on business with Soviet Union, starts just collapsing. Uh, the um, GDP of Bulgaria just start crushing. My mom and my stepdad in Bulgaria, who, um, uh, which is my stepdad was one of the reasons why we ended up in Bulgaria. He's from Bulgaria. Well, they had jobs. My mom was a doctor, and she able to somehow, you know, re relearn everything, learn new language, and certify as a doctor in Bulgaria. In fact, despite the fact that she had a job, and and my stepdad had a job, they they had a hard time paying just the basic bills with their job, right? And so here I am, right, at the age of fourteen, and. Uh, in Bulgaria, and I, we did not have enough money for anything, right? Honestly, I did not have money to, so, you know, so my friends would buy new shoes to play basketball. I could not do it, right? I could not buy new jeans. There was no money for me to just go and spend money on ice cream, right? There was no money for me to go buy a lemonade because that's all extra money. And every, every, literally every dollar for us counted, right? So, and that, you know, you know, now, of course, I completely understand the situation my parents were in. Uh, but at a time, as a 14-year-old kid, it's very frustrating. <laughs> yeah, the 14-year-old kid, yeah. you know, like I, I remember, I, I remember. Oh, interesting. Uh, I remember, right? My that 14-year-old uh, birthday party of mine, and that was kind of what triggered me. Uh, was I couldn't have a birthday party because I literally could not buy enough stuff to have my friends over. Just like you know desserts you know that that was the kind of like the situation we were in um and so um that summer when i was 14 i said you know i, I gotta do something about it <laughs> uh and so i got my first job my first job was in sales uh what i was supposed to do was i i started working for this company it was like a food uh, uh distribution company they were selling variety of pastas and ketchups and olives and all different products. So I, at 14, I signed up to be a sales guy. And so they gave me a catalog, they educated me in a catalog, and I was supposed to go in a certain area of the city, Varna, that's where I live. I had to go from shop to shop to shop to shop to shop to shop to shop. Well, that is real sales, Michael, walking around the catalog and for something that someone doesn't need. Yeah, well, yeah, it was, yeah. It, was, it was direct sales, yeah. And yeah. I had to find that grocery store owner. I had to uh, persuade him uh, that what we have is of value and sell him, take the order, and the company would deliver. And, you know, I remember still the first sales shop, I had, sell, the sales call I have to make, right? I, I show up there. I'm like, oh, my gosh, uh, here at this 14-year-old schmuck, right? <laughs> and, but I somehow did it, and it went okay. I made, managed to place the first order, which boosts my confidence. 
and 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 so like doing working that that summer i was able to make uh, enough money now to basically sustain myself pretty much on my own uh, so i was able to pay for all the shoes and the jeans and the stuff that i wanted and the ice creams and such so i like this idea and i still had to go to school of course uh, and but the situation kept getting worse and so um, when i was 15 years old uh, several months later i um i come across a situation where like we were again desperate and one of my friends um one of my friend's moms opened a little bakery in their garage and she started making eclairs and i was like you know maybe let me try this let me try uh putting together a little something here uh and so what I did is I, you know, she made three different types of eclairs, which I asked her to make three different types of eclairs. I made a catalog of those three eclairs <laughs> <laughs> and a little fancy description why they're so nice uh, and a price tag. And I started trying. I, I went, took my catalog and just like I did working for the company, I started going store to store trying to place orders for the eclairs. Parallel, I placed an advertisement for a guy, uh, an adult with a truck, uh, like a van, which we redesigned and made it like, like a delivery van. Okay. With some rafts. And so uh, I would go one day, I would place orders. Uh, the next day, I would hire this guy that I'll pay him hourly. And we'll start delivering the eclairs to the stores that I place orders. Um, and I saw, like, it started getting into some, you know, sustained business, right? And so I hired, I put an advertisement in the newspaper, and I was able to hire a few students, uh, older students than me in Varna. And I separated them by uh, areas of the city. And so they start doing this for me. So they started working with catalogs, placing orders. I'll pay them their sales commission. And, and my guy would start delivering. You know? And then I got more of those sales guys. So we covered the entire town. And so the deliveries start happening every day now. So every day we have deliveries happening. I mean, every day there are sales of a lot of eclairs yeah. at this point. Um, and, you know, I was really good about developing personal relationship with the customers, being very responsive to their needs, right? If there's anything wrong, we'll always be on top of it. Work with me, to work with me was very easy versus working with a large distribution companies. Uh, and so I like this concept and I start adding products to my catalog. So uh, it was the wholesale products of like some candies and then whatever. I, I end up with like a four or five page catalog of things. Wow. Uh, eventually. And, and so I started making some real money. Uh, and that's, you know, 15 going into 16 years old. Uh, and at that point, right, I was 16 years old. So one of the lessons I learned is I, well, the, the responsible thing I did is I helped my parents a lot. I was covering the food bills. I was covering the house bills. I was covering everything else uh, that they needed help with. Yeah. And, you know, parallel with that, I was also spending now maybe unnecessary amount of money on myself. Uh, but you got to enjoy yourself as well, Michael. You got to. Yeah, yeah, I got a little bit, maybe a little overboard, you know, having to have a driver drive me to high school. And <laughs> oh, wow, you must have been sending a lot of these class, Michael. <laughs> yeah, there's a yeah. lot of class. Uh, and so, you know, eventually, like uh, what happened is one of those bigger companies, distribution companies, we start taking affecting their business because uh, their products were not selling. My guys were, you know, we were a little more robust and quicker. 
I think. Um, and so they they just pick the same type of line of products that we're selling and they just lower the prices of those products like less than 50%. And so, you know, we, uh, uh, while I was making money, I did not have much money in reserve. I was spending it uh, as I was making it. And so, you know, maybe it took him a month and, uh, you know, all their clients went back to them because, you know, their prices was better and I was out of business at that point. Yeah. And it's interesting because uh, really, Michael, I mean, you're a security professional um, now, um, but what I'm hearing it really is from a young age, you've, you've always been very entrepreneurial. I mean, like I said, you know, you built the program at Mall of America. You've, and I should say for, if I'm imagining when you say an eclair, just want to say for the listeners, cause it might not be too much of an American thing. Is that like the long chocolate pastry? That's that right. Yeah. The yeah. long chocolate pastry with, yeah. uh, with the cream inside. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. And I would say, I don't know. I've been here, what, mm-hmm. nine years now. You've been here a little bit longer. I've never seen those here in the US. So I'm wondering how many people are going to be going on Google now and, and, and <laughs> Googling cho- chocolate eclairs because that's what it is. <laughs> it's a delicious. long pastry. Still my favorite dessert. Still is, my yeah. favorite dessert. <laughs> well, maybe they should just go to email info at Rosen Consulting and then you can, you can sell them. <laughs> You can sell it some For my birthday here, uh, my daughter made me uh, you know amazing tray of eclairs. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, so you be a and I was just looking. I didn't see that anywhere on your bio. So we'll have to. You need to add that to your website, Michael. <laughs> you know, but I mean, joking aside, you know, you're obviously very entrepreneurial. You know, you're you're very sort of programmatic, and you know, you've created several programs. And but then, you know, when you transitioned to America, you know, you met your your beautiful wife, um, Katie, and you sort of moved here to the US. That posed some challenges in itself because it's not necessarily easy to sort of just transition into into the US. So what was your experience like maybe when you first arrived? Because before you started at Mall of America, there was a journey to get there. I think you told me once that you were a laborer on a building site. So, you know, you're you're not shy of hard work, but Michael <laughs> being a laborer on a building site isn't something that comes straight to my mind. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, uh, yeah, good question. So I... I um... You know, not only I moved to the United States, right? And that was, you know, uh, you know, I, I never imagined I'll end up in the United States. I was absolutely happy in Israel, and I loved everything I was doing there. I had a, a successful career path, um, and and here I meet this, uh, you know, uh, Katie, right? Very, and it's a love from first sight and fireworks with that. And after some time on a relationship. Uh, you know, Katie was very clear from the very beginning that she does not see herself living in Israel and she would want to be back with her family. And so I had a choice to make basically from the beginning of meeting her, you know, the, uh, and, you know, ultimately, right, I, I, I made that choice. And, you know, despite all the cold and misery in, in Minnesota here, yeah. she's worth it. Um, but, uh, you know, the so I not only moved to the United States, I moved to the United States. I kind of left my job there and I, and I moved in the middle of the winter to Minnesota, right? So getting out of the airplane and seeing all the snow around um, was, uh, was uh, you know, a, 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 a little shock in the system. Yeah. But, you know, the biggest, yeah, you, you, um, in the beginning, kind of, you come and realize, I realized a couple of things uh, uh, pretty quick here in the United States. One, I, you know, you realize that anything that you, you the status that you had and all that you have you know before you know it cannot you 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 have to start from scratch you literally have to start from scratch here yes now at this point i have some skills i have some experience i have some training i know something but i cannot you know let my title in israel and my position there and all the year like somehow get in my mind so i was i i, I needed to put this away i need to put this aside and be willing to start from scratch 
Second, though, I also saw and I smelt it right away. This country, right? It's like, and you probably can say the same thing living in Europe. It is not like, like no other place on earth. Like the, the opportunities here, right? And the ability to do whatever you want. The freedom that we have here in the United States is a true privilege, I think. Like, and, and I smelt it also, like, you know, how the, that, that kind of right and the freedom and the, the opportunities were everywhere. Um, so, you know, I was, I had to, I had to get, make some money, right? So the, my first, uh, you know, I started, I, I barely speak English. I went to school here. I went back to school just to pick up my English a bit. Um, and you know, I, I needed some jobs and the only jobs that were available were kind of in construction. Now, you know, I've done a lot of things right in the military and, but, uh, construction just was never one of those things that I that I was good at, right? And plus, you know, like you know, building houses in like Bulgaria and stuff is different than the United States. This, well, you should uh, have started a catalog, Michael, as to how to build a house, getting bricks <laughs> and cement and not doing things. That's like, right. <laughs> you know, around a building site, yeah. So it was interesting. It was like you know, it was it was tough, right? Um, but I had to do what I had to do, right, to kind of just make some money and. Uh, um, uh, put some food on the table, so to speak, right? And and I also did not want to be that guy, right, who moved here, right? I have, you know, now Katie is my fiance at this point, and I did not want to be the guy who just kind of like hangs on her neck, right? Because you know, whatever. I wanted to, you know, to be able to do uh, and contribute uh, as I always have. Do you think it was easier, Michael, to transition here, knowing that you know already in your life before you moved to the US, you'd already lived in three different countries. You know, you speak different languages. But you know, I guess one of your things is that you're used to starting again, and not in a negative way. Like you said, you have yeah. to put all your your success um, in Israel behind you and say, okay, well, I can't have that back. I've got to I've got to look forward. What can I do to be successful again? Do you think that's part of where where your success comes from? Now you've you've done it before. I think so. I do think so. You know, it was the, you know, I've been moving basically, you know, every 10, eight years or so in my life. At that point, I've been always moving. And every time I'm in a completely different situation, I had to adapt to a new language, to a new culture, to a new economy, uh, to a new, you know, develop new set of friends and acquaintances. And, you know, I think if I hasn't done, if I haven't done that, right, and just come to the United States without any of that, I think it would have been a lot tougher, a lot, a lot tougher uh, to put all that aside and be willing to just open up and go exploring and, and, and try your best in this country. Um, so I think that that was, a, I think that's definitely, I think you're hitting the nail on the head there, Simon, that, you know, that kind of experience of moving from place to place, uh, adapting to new situations, dealing with economic challenges in other countries, dealing with discriminatory challenges, dealing with yeah. you know all that stuff. It's experience that you you know uh, United States was I was able to apply it and it was it went relatively easy for me. Yeah, and I guess did you? Um, is it strange that perhaps you feel most at home being a Jewish man living in the US? I mean, did that is that something which is a strange concept, bearing in mind some of the countries you lived at in Europe, but you know, but the way you feel most at home being a, being a Jew is in America. It is, you know, like I think the the it's it's the two places, right? That I feel I feel most at home in the United States, without a doubt. You know, Israel, of course, is going to be part of my of my identity. And, you know, I like what Israel stands for. And, but, you know, it's, it's something about, I think it's something about the, the uh, truly the freedom that you have in the United States, 
that you don't feel I don't know how you felt when you left in 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 UK right versus coming back here and and uh, coming here but you know for me it just feels the freedom and the opportunities to do your best and maximize your potential in the United States it's so much greater right than in any other place on earth um, and I think that is what I think at the end of the day right being free and being an you know, ability to to go in whatever directions you want to go and 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 do well, and and make a difference, right? Is what uh, makes you feel most at home at the end of the day, right? Um, this country is not perfect, right? Every country has its quirks. I mean, and yeah. look, we're going through a period of time where a lot of those imperfections are right on the surface. Uh, uh, but I think we still, with all those imperfections that this country exists. My my based on my experience, I still think this is the greatest place on earth to be in, and I would not want to be in any other place. Yeah, and I think also, you know, the part of your um, upbringing, you know, I mean, your your mom's done an incredible job raising you as a as a man. I'm sure your stepfather played a role in in that as well, and you know how you've moved around. But but I remember when I moved to the US, and maybe a slightly different path than you, Michael. I think I'd only been here seven or eight weeks when you know you were transitioning out of more America, and then I was coming in to replace you. But I can remember, you know, you were. Um, when me and you met a couple of weeks ago and I was driving home, I was thinking about it, you know, you were the one of the first people in the US that actually showed me kindness. And then you, know, you and your wife <laughs> took me out and you know, we went out for a meal. And that, you know, I think looking back, that meant an awful lot because you'd been through that before. Whereas others might just say, okay, well, this is a guy here, you know, you purposely invited sort of me out for a meal. And I think that was that act of kindness, you know, we're, you're going to be stuck with me for life because that really is. <laughs> I, was doing it. I was reflecting driving home from meeting you, thinking, <laughs> That was that was a great great moment. So Michael, we sort of start to to wrap up then. So you know, there's um, so many great things you've done, and I know right now, you know, the cyber program, like I said, I mean that is taking off, um, and it's going across the, the US, and you're traveling internationally with that now. And I know that you've started a new company, Rosen Technologies. So maybe just tell us a little bit about what Rosen Technologies is now doing. Yeah, so you know, Rosen Security, and I, that's going to kind of lead to why Rosen Technologies became the thing. You know, Rosen Security, uh, Rosen Security Consulting has been quite a quite a road, right? And it's been fun and and you know to innovate. And you know, we in Rosen uh, Security, we we kind of do three main things, right? One was this security consulting work that we do throughout the United States and internationally, designing uh, designing entities and assessing large institutions, helping a client uh, navigate and manage risk. Um, we we have a threat management division where we help our clients assess threats as they receive them, come up with a, the right program and manage those threats. And and many times we're successful. We help them avoid the problems or be able to stop the problems in the right way. And then we develop the 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 Cyra concept that I talked about earlier, the behavior threat detection program. And going through client to client, instituting those programs in the United States, I realized that there's a big Piece missing to the puzzle, which is the ability to uh, 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 really share information in real time and identify trends in real time. In, in other words, right, the in a security, right, security many times functions before bad things happen, right. That's where the the most use of security is, right. Is you want to have security that it's that it's preventative by nature, that stops bad things from happening. And for that to work, you have to have trained people, you have to have procedures, but you have to have the ability to. To kind of, you know, if this guy shows up at this facility, right, today, preparing, thinking about who, what he's going to do tomorrow, um, and he comes back again the, the, a week later, 
right? A security needs to be able to know that, that it happened twice. And this is the second time that this happens. And because it's the second time, there's more significance to it. And more action needs to be taken because that's the case. I realize that that concept, the, the ability to share information in real time, identify those trends in real time, not after the fact, not investigating after things happen, but now, now, because now is when it could, the, the, the ability for security to know that this is the person that we have seen the second time or the third time here would mean a very different action versus inaction. And, and so from that kind of problem, um, we develop our, our software called TIPS, Threat Information Protection System. And that's where Rosen Technologies become a company. So Rosen Technologies, as a, as a company, our main product is TIPS. Uh, that we, it's a newer product that we put on the market two years ago, and we've been evo evolving uh, more and more, and, and we're very excited, a new and better and really fantastic version of it coming up this, this fall. Uh, so stay tuned. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but the idea behind the software that's now used by, uh, by uh, many private sector organizations, some government entities, the idea is that it's, uh, it's, um, uh, it's an app as well as uh, uh, software that you can use on a dashboard uh, in any command and control center. You can input information based on what you see uh, or through uh, surveillance systems. You can open cases. And there are, uh, you know, we used AI and smart algorithms that can help identify real trends in real time. So as you put information on this vehicle that you see out there, the system will tell you in real time, by the way, there are two other organizations that have seen the same vehicle or you have seen the same vehicle, you know, five months ago, whatever that might be. And, and so we have had some real fantastic success rates with this, with this uh, uh, software that we've been using. And so that's how Rosen Technologies evolved. And, um, uh, you know, next, next year, you know, we, we're adding some fantastic features here. And so next year, uh, I think we, um, uh, will uh, Rosen Technologies will really shine through with uh, yeah I mean you, you just whenever I hear you talk it's just the entrepreneurial spirit just just shines through Mike you, know, <laughs> you, you can't stop the wonder your, your wife is you know when you just travel on the road she must hate it when you wake up in the middle like Katie I've got another idea she's like oh no here we go again here, here, we, here we go again but but Michael it's been really good to talk to you like I said and, and also for your openness and honesty to sort of to share your story with others because you know quite often you know there, there's so many fantastic things you You've done and i see you on on the, the news and i'm like yeah there's a guy israeli accent there's just so much more to, to who you are so it's really great that you can share it and, and be a bit vulnerable about your your childhood and your your father and stuff so michael what is the best way to people look at your some of your stuff so is it rosen security is the yeah. tagline but rosen security and what is rosen technology just rosen technologies maybe talk about yeah, where people can that's right it. yeah yeah you guys uh you can just uh uh easily write, find me online by uh w www.rosinrozinsecurity.com or uh, at www.rozintechnologies.com. Uh, both websites are live and there's a lot of information about everything we do. I post my interviews there sometimes. Uh, and, 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 and you're and always on the TV. We'll just end it there. <laughs> I can tell you, whenever I turn my news on, something's <laughs> Michael's there. I'm like, there he is. But Michael, it's been, been a pleasure. Thank you for, for joining me on Who I Became. Simon, fantastic. This is a lot of fun. Thank you for having me here. Take care. Thank you for joining us for the Who I Became podcast. If you are enjoying the discussions between Simon and his guests, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review 
as well as share with your friends on social media. Once again, thank you for joining the Who I Became podcast.